Greetings in the name of the Lord. Welcome. Grace be with you. Peace. Shalom. Whatever greeting works. I am Cullen Cressman, and this is my attempt at a podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Breaking Theology. This is our final episode on the book of James. So if you're just joining us, I would encourage you start from the beginning because today we're going to be doing something a little bit different, kind of interesting. We'll see how it goes. But if you don't have all the pieces that we've talked about up to this point, this episode may be a little bit weird for you. So stop right now. Go back to episode one. And even for those that have been part of the the whole journey through James, make sure that you have in mind all of the things we've talked about, about up to this point. Now, I'll give you a little bit of a map uh, in just a little bit, but we want to discuss briefly the final portion of James. And so in the last episode on chapter 4, I extended chapter 4 all the way to 5 verse 6. And so... I'm going to be finishing out the chapter of James here on chapter 5, but then I'm going to give a synopsis of everything that we've covered in James. So, diving right in to the final, the the altar call, if you will, of James, what he says, and and kind of where he brings it, this is his his appeal. This is the the spiritual, emotional appeal that he's making to everybody. He says in verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now, you see what he's done here. If you're looking at a sermon or an arrangement of uh, a a thing that you're going to speak, how you would arrange an argument or your points, things like that, this is what's called an inclusio. He actually started with this point at the very beginning of the sermon. Patience and the coming of the Lord, to be steadfast. So he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Okay, so he's talking about, again, this patience is more than just um, oh, well, God, you know, please help me and, and my frustrations today, those kinds of things. It's not a, a simple type of patience, but he's connecting this to steadfastness. He's connecting this to waiting for the coming of the Lord. It's like when Paul talks about running the race with endurance, is making sure that you are holding fast. He says, establish your hearts. Make sure you're set. Make sure you are ready to go for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And now he's going to reintroduce some elements we've seen already up to this point. We should not be surprised at all that he is going to connect this with our attitudes in our speech. So he says, establish your hearts. In verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Okay, so see how he's taken these elements we've seen before. He's talked about patience this idea of steadfastness for the coming of the Lord, but then he's connected it to grumbling against another person, and then he also weaves in judgment. Okay? Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering, Okay, so now he's moved on. This is where we get to see 
the the conclusion, the the appeal he's wanting to make to us as we read what he is emphasizing, the hope that we have. He's he's stepped on our toes a few times leading up to this point. But he ends here, he's talking about the reality they're living in. Remember, we've said that this is an early letter to the church. This is going to be one of the first documents we have of encouragement to the church. He says some things of critique, says some things that we need to be watching ourselves on. But here he's giving us the full picture of why it's important for us to watch ourselves, why it's important for us to be paying attention to these things. The judge is at the door as an example of suffering and patience. Okay, so see how he's put patience here? An example of suffering and patience. The church under uh, persecution, they're fighting, they're trying to make sense of this good news, but yet they're suffering. But an example of that is the prophets. So he says to look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, and he says that we consider them blessed who remained steadfast. That when they were going through hard times, we consider them blessed because they remained. So it's not simply about glamour. The good news is not just simply good news. It's not a happy thing. It's not just about hype in in your current circumstance. It's about enduring until the end. We consider them blessed because they remain steadfast. And then he goes from the prophets. He says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Okay, so he gives the the perfect example, the pinnacle. You're going through suffering. You're going through hard times. And I love how James says, you have seen the purpose of the Lord through Job. Okay, so he says, you have seen the steadfastness, the example of Job. And he says, you've seen the purpose of the Lord. Okay, so remember back to the very beginning of James, that opening part, count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into trials of various kind, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And here at the end, this inclusio, he starts at the beginning and then closes it up here at the end. He's saying Job is an example of that steadfastness, and we get to see the purpose of the Lord. When we are going through trials, we get to see the purpose of the Lord in those trials, in that suffering. We are being made in the image of God, in the image of steadfastness. We are being formed into righteousness like Job. And he says how the Lord is compassionate and merciful to Job. We see that purpose, that he is teaching us. Think of a parent that has to discipline their child. They do it in the right way, but they do it because of love to to teach and to build things into them, to form them so that they can endure. And then he says, Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. I love that he gives us an answer to our condemnation something that the enemy will bring against us as Christians often, something that we will even bring against ourselves, that we will speak against ourselves because of our own shame, because of commitments we've made. And I think this is being connected to what he said in the previous chapter, that if we know to do something, we're not promised tomorrow. And so if we know to do something, we need to do it, otherwise it's sin. And so he says here, don't don't swear, don't take an oath. Now, when I was a kid, uh, we weren't even allowed to say, I swear, you know, like such and such happened. I swear it wasn't me. We weren't even allowed to say the word swear. But 
this is more than just simply the word. What James is talking about here is what they would do in in those days is you would swear, you would make an oath of commitment for future things. I will make a promise to you that this such and such will be accomplished. And usually you were making an oath that was saying, uh, God is my witness, the gods is my witness, or the king is my witness, some higher power as my witness. And so they would hold you accountable. Here James is saying that you don't need to be making an oath to the gods. You don't need to be making an oath by the gods. Just simply live yes and no. Say the things you're going to do. Say no to the things you're not going to do. Live in that consistency, that honesty, that integrity, and you will take care of condemnation. You don't have to wake up the next morning and think, oh, I've got this pressure. I've got these things. You've already taken care of condemnation. And now he ends here where he's talking to the church about prayer. And I want to talk here. You can read it. Uh, I'm not going to read it all, but I, I just want to talk here about how James is ending this sermon and he's talking to us about prayer. And we use this this passage a lot to talk about healing for the sick, which I believe is part of this passage. But I think we sometimes limit the point that James is making because we are focusing on the English word of sick. And that could, even like in English, it could mean that somebody is uh, simply weak, that somebody is struggling, that somebody is feeling uh forsaken or not at 100%. It doesn't have to simply mean physical sickness. But a lot of times in the church, we apply it in that way. Now, one of the reasons I say that it should be larger than just physical sickness or disease is because James hasn't talked about those kinds of things throughout the book. He hasn't said anything in his sermon up to this point. The other part is that if you're looking at the ability of the word, what the word could mean, it can include weakness. It doesn't automatically mean a physical ailment or disease. And the final thing is that I always want to look at the context if I'm trying to decide what the word is. And so if I'm looking at the context here, he says a lot of things that are more spiritual in nature, not simply talking about somebody's physical, uh, but he's talking about the forgiveness of sins. He's talking about healing and confession of sins and praying after that confession for healing. So I do not think that we should limit this point that James is making to physical disease, but it's much larger than that. He's giving hope to the people suffering. He's talking to even the people that he's critiqued. Okay, he's a good preacher. He has just talked to us this sermon. He's just built up and he said some some pointed things about our actions, about our words, about being consistent and, and not being like the devil's. And here he's saying that if you are weak, if you are struggling and suffering, if you are needing God to lead you to be steadfast, it's just like at the beginning of the the sermon, he says, if anyone lacks patience or uh, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask the Lord. Okay, so here he's saying prayer is that answer that when we're confronted with our sin, when we're confronted with our weaknesses, when we're confronted with the things that we are struggling with, and especially in a time like this, in the church, in James, that they are being persecuted, that they are starting to see that their beliefs, that when they act out their beliefs, persecution comes, 
suffering comes. It's not all beautiful. It's not all rainbows and butterflies, but real things are happening. Loved ones are dying. Loved ones are being persecuted. Suffering is happening. And what is the answer to that? It's not that you become like the devils. It's not that you become like the sinners. It's not that you start judging. It's not that you start biting at one another. You actually ground yourself in prayer. You confess your sins one to another. You can you bring the elders together and you pray for strength, for healing, not just if we are weak in our bodies, but in the times that we are needing to pull together and to stay united as the church in the middle of persecution. We don't forsake and we don't start lying. We bind together in prayer. And it gives us the hope. He says these things can actually happen because he gives us another Old Testament example. The Prayer of a righteous person has great power as it works. Elijah was a man just like us, okay? That point right there, we're talking about the dude in the Old Testament, the guy that, and he even gives a story here, just one example of how awesome Elijah was. As you're reading the story of Elijah, he did all kinds of things, but just by prayer, he stopped the rain, just by prayer. And here James says he was not special. He is a human being just like us. And so it doesn't matter what our weakness is. It doesn't matter what we are suffering from, the things that we are dealing with at the moment. Prayer can stop the rain. Prayer can do more than just make us feel good, a nice little comfort in the moment. But prayer has power that it is going to be able to change our hearts, that it is going to be able to comfort our souls, that it is actually going to be able to give us that steadfastness that's needed. We ask the Lord for wisdom. We're going to be able to carry on until the end. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And this is again where I think that it is a sermon to the church, uh, a point that's needing to be made at that time in history, is he gives this comfort. He gives a, a point of encouragement that there are some that are falling away. There are some that are wandering away from the truth. And he's given us the answer. Throughout, he's given us the answer. But here he closes it up by saying prayer And then to love one another, to love a brother or sister back into their faith. That there are going to be hard times, there's going to be persecution, there's going to be these things happening, but you love the wanderer back. And so now, I want to do something, and uh, we have covered many things in the book of James. Now, it's just five chapters, so I won't always be able to do this, but since James is just five chapters, I'm going to read it all the way through. I'm going to take the time, and I just want you to listen as we go all the way through James and listen for those key elements again, those echoes that I'm arguing here that James is a sermon. It's not a disjointed uh, letter, but it's actually strategically put together. He's making a point for the time that they're living in. And so let's just listen to the whole sermon. Okay, very short to the point, but what does James say as a whole? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits." Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man, and not the rich, the one who oppresses you, and the one who drag, who will drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? 
If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever they will wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. 
Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 
Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is weary, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I hope that you have been blessed by this podcast covering James. I enjoy getting to see how the word of the Lord speaks beyond time, not just at that that moment, not just to a young church that was trying to navigate social pressures of persecution, of the rich and the poor, and trying to be blessed and trying to make sense of what true blessing looks like, and that even today in our world, when we are trying to navigate similar things, that the word of the Lord speaks to us. And so I can say to anyone that is listening, I pray that the Lord would bless your hearts, that we would evaluate our words, and that we would evaluate our allegiance, who we commit ourselves to, and that our life, our our confessions, our faith would demonstrate whose we are. And that if we feel weak, that you would know that in our weariness, in our weakness, that prayer works and prayer has a power. When we are submitted to the name of the Lord, when we are submitted to our King and we live out that faith, even in our weariness, we can confess and we can call on the name of the Lord and that tongue will direct our entire lives, just like the bit in the horse's mouth steers the whole body. Praying and crying out to the Lord in our weariness is going to be able to give us the strength, the power to actually live according to his will. And so I pray that anyone listening to this will be strengthened and will find encouragement that they can go and find a brother or sister who has wandered and encourage them and pray for them and restore their soul. This is the conclusion of our study on the book of James. Thanks for listening. Hope that you have enjoyed and hope that it has benefited your life. Uh, Stay in touch. Follow me on any kind of social media and let me know any questions you have, any things that you want to learn, but also be looking out for the next book of the Bible we'll be covering.